Paul is serving some time in jail, and uh, God is doing some great stuff in his life. And he just wants to say hello, he wants to give you greetings from prison. So it's not exactly like the Apostle Paul greeting you from prison, it's Paul Rosa greeting you from prison, but uh, you know, he loves you just the same in his own kind of gruff, crazy way. But um, when he comes, I guess he gets out in a couple of weeks, so we'll have the privilege of seeing him not too long from now. And uh, when he does, you can rough him up real good and tell him that you missed him. He likes that. That's his love language, just so you know that. You can rough him up. That's okay. So this morning, we're going to go to Luke chapter 9, and I'd invite you to please turn in your Bibles there. I'll be there in a moment. Hey, you like my new pulpit? I like this. That's, uh, this is from our friends at Church of the Living God. I want to say thank you to them. I've been, I've been trying to trash pick one of these stands for a couple months now. And I was there for prayer on Thursday morning with the other pastors in the area. And, uh, and Justin, he's one of the associate pastors there at CLG, he goes, you're still looking for one of those? Take ours. We've got three of them. We don't need three. So they gave us one of theirs. So this is from our friends at Church of the Living God. So I thank the Lord for that. But uh, has anyone, <clears throat> I want to start by talking about humility. Humility is kind of a funny virtue, isn't it? It's one of those virtues that if you think you have it, you probably don't. And if you're trying to get it, you probably won't. It's, it's like the, I call it the unassuming virtue. Because it's like the more you focus on it, the, the more elusive it is. And you sort of almost have to not think about it in order to get it. But at the same time, you kind of want to work on it. So it's, it's weird. So where is the test? How do I know how humble I am? It's a hard, it's a hard, where's the test? I believe that part of the answer to that is this. Part of the answer is how you respond to rejection when you're attempting to serve God. How you respond to rejection when you're trying to serve God reveals the level of humility in your heart. Because after all, isn't it ultimately Jesus that we're seeking to serve? And isn't it ultimately God's glory that we're seeking when we're serving God? So when I get rejected in my service, it really shouldn't be about me, should it? And yet, how often do I make it about me? And in that moment, I realize, oh, I've got some growing to do in this area of my life. I believe that 2 Corinthians, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. The Apostle Paul writes this, and he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So you see where he puts himself? We're not preaching me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And if there's anything that I'm doing, I'm just serving. That's what I'm doing. So we preach Jesus Christ as Lord and not ourselves. And yet, how often when I get my feelings hurt do I start preaching me? A lot. Uh, 
Have you ever noticed, I like to watch people, and I think human beings are fascinating, and so you ever see a crowd of people, have you ever noticed that there's these extremes, there's some people that, that, that are like shadows in a crowd, they're very, um, you can't even see them, they're just, you hardly notice them. And then there's other people that move through a crowd like a sandstorm, they touch everybody. You think they're running for office or something. And you wonder, how do these, you got these two extremes of people, the shadow and the sandstorm. And you know, both of those people are actually trying to avoid rejection in the way that they behave. So the shadow is trying to avoid rejection because they believe that if I don't engage in anyone, I don't have to risk being rejected. So I'll stand against the wall, kind of stand in the shadow, try to blend in. And that way then I don't have to risk having anybody reject me. But the sandstorm is also doing that because their method is we just control the conversation. If I'm in charge of the conversation, if I'm the one telling the stories, I'm the one telling the jokes, now I can avoid anybody rejecting me because I'm actually controlling my scene. Does that make sense? So you have these two extremes, the shadow and the sandstorm, and now both of them come to church. And the church has them too. And both of them experience rejection in the church. The shadow experiences rejection because, well, nobody really knows what they want to do because they don't engage. And the shadow's the person that leaves the church and says, you know, I was there for eight months and nobody talked to me. Well, yeah, did you talk to anybody? No, but nobody talked to you, so okay. That's the shadow. And then the other hand, the sandstorm also experiences rejection in church because they get so involved in everything that they eventually get fried or they start, um, they start breaking their commitments because they can't possibly maintain them all. And then that hurts people's feelings and then their feelings get hurt and then they leave. And you've got this mess. When we get rejected... Getting rejected at church kind of catches us off guard because we sort of expect it when it comes to our job, like we talked about last week, rejection in the marketplace. We expect it, that's sort of set up for that. And we've come to expect rejection sometimes in our friendships because we know people let us down. We know that. that. That happens too, although we don't like it, but it happens. But the church is kind of the one place we feel like it ought to be a safe haven because that's where all the saints are. And, and the church is beautiful and we're singing kumbaya all the time. And, and we're doing caring, loving things. And so everybody loves it when you do caring, loving things. And so you can't possibly want to reject that. Can I tell you that in 30 years of ministry, I've seen it happen a lot of times many, many, many times, and people are surprised when they experience rejection at church. It catches us flat-footed, and I find that we can either fall into one of two categories. Some people explode, and other people just escape, and the explosion is illustrated in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. Let's just read that. 
It says, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead. He went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? I don't know why they thought that was a great idea. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. So you see what's happening. Jesus is, and his disciples are moving on to Jerusalem. This is near the end of his life, actually. He's cruising towards the cross. And, and they sends guys ahead to prepare the way for, the, for them in this one village in Samaria. And the village rejects them. And, and James and John... True to form, James and John are brothers. They're the guys that Jesus nicknamed the sons of thunder because of their bad tempers. You can see it. And true to form, James and John have this great idea. Let's just blow them up. Let's just fry them all, Lord. They rejected us. Let's just toast them right here. Now, you got to admire their faith because they actually thought they could do that, which I think is kind of funny. But then on the other side, notice who Jesus rebukes. He doesn't rebuke the village for rejecting them. He rebukes his own guys for wanting to fry the village. But Jesus, didn't you get that? They just rejected you. Why are you firing at your own team? Yeah, because his own team was out of line. I think that's interesting. So Jesus was more concerned about his disciples' poor reaction to the rejection than he was the rejection itself. Explosion. Some people, when they get, ex when they get rejected, some people, when their toes get stepped on, <laughs> other people just escape. That's the other extreme. And an example of this is found in, in uh, Acts. The next slide is Acts chapter 19. We read this about the Apostle Paul. He said, it says, Paul entered the synagogue, and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe, and they publicly maligned the way. So you see, they, they really ramped it up. They didn't just not believe. They were publicly trying to undercut the ministry. So what did Paul do? He left them. He took the disciples with him, and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Tyrannus, we believe in history, was probably a doctor or at least somebody who was fairly wealthy who would have had a large kind of meeting room in his house where they could accommodate a good group of people. So Paul takes his group of friends, his disciples, he goes over to this house and they just leave, and they start having their Bible studies over there. They escape. It seems that whether you explode or whether you escape, my point is simply this. When you get rejected by your own at church, it hurts. It's shocking. It surprises you. You might be surprised to find it's, it's shocking in church. To, to discover that not everybody gets praised equally at church. Have you ever noticed that? 
Some people get the spotlight more than others. And we think, well, that ought, it ought to be more fair than that. This is the church, and yet it happens. Number two, we get shocked to discover that Christians don't always agree. What a surprise. We get shocked to discover that Christians aren't perfect, that uh, saints aren't always saintly. Been surprised by a few unsaintly saints? Anybody? We get shocked to discover that not everybody appreciates what I do. They just don't think I'm as wonderful as I think I am. But I'm trying to serve here. I'm trying to care here. I'm trying to do a good thing here. Why don't they? Not everybody appreciates what you do. And then lastly, we're shocked at times to discover that church people can bite. If you've been around the church long enough, you got a few bite marks. I'll never forget the very first time that I experienced a bite from somebody in church. My wife and I were brand new ministers. I was serving as a youth pastor in a church in Pennsylvania. We were only there for six or seven months, not long at all. And came in one day, and one of the ladies that was volunteering with me in the youth ministry, she was one of our, you know, one of our co-workers. She was in the senior pastor's office, and she was telling him all of the things that I was doing wrong and how I was unfit to be a pastor and so forth. And so that hurt, I confess. My senior pastor then gave my wife and I this bad advice. You can't be friends with anybody in church. That's what I was told. And we actually tried walking in that for a little while, and it was very lonely, and, and we stopped a long time ago. I gave up on that one. But not only did my wife and I have to deal with the betrayal of this coworker, we also had to deal with our senior pastor's bad advice. So why does this happen? Why do we... The church ought to be like the one safe place where this doesn't happen. So why does it happen at church? I wonder, is it possible that God actually even allows this to happen if somehow rejection in church is a part of what God's doing to mature you and me and make us the men and women that he wants us to be? Do you think that's possible? I happen to believe that it is. Two weeks ago, we learned, we talked about rejection in relationships, remember? And uh, we learned there that in relationships, when we experience rejection, that it's a correction. That what it means is I'm placing too much stock in one person. I'm being, in essence, unfair, and I'm expecting more from that person than they're able to give to me. And actually, I can only, I'm expecting from someone what only God can give me. That's what rejection in relationships reveals. And then last week we talked about rejection in the marketplace and how when that happens at work or when our achievements fall apart, how that's a redirection. Remember, we talked about the core relationship with God and how rejection in the marketplace it reveals that my core, my core is off. And I need to get that right. And then it corrects this other stuff. And now we come to church 
and we learn in ministry, what's God's purpose for rejection when I'm serving him? What's his purpose for that? We get a hint in Luke chapter 17, verse 25. Jesus is talking about the end. He's, he's talking about when the kingdom of God comes and how, you know, when the whole thing comes to an end. He's talking about the goal. And he says this in Luke 17, 25. He says that before all of that, but first he must suffer. He's referring to himself. He must suffer many things and be rejected. So what Jesus is saying is that rejection, his rejection, is a part of the grand plan. Somehow they went together. And then in, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this to you and me, his disciples. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, so Jesus has this kind of weird perspective on rejection, doesn't he? You got rejected? You're blessed. Some of you are saying, don't bless me so much. <laughs> Aren't you? I wish I really didn't have that blessing. What does Jesus see that we don't see in this? He obviously is seeing something. How is it possible that this rejection could be a blessing? Rejection actually is, I'll say this, rejection is a projection. Rejection is a promotion. It's part of what God uses to take you forward in your development. In ministry, rejection is kind of a humility test. As we shared earlier, it reveals, who am I really doing this for? Am I... Is, is, is it, is it Christ I'm preaching or me that I'm preaching? What am I really in this for? Can I... It's two things. It's one thing to talk about being a servant. It's another thing to get treated like one. And as Christians, we love to... We have this whole thing about serving. Oh, I'm here to serve. Jesus is a servant. I'm a servant. And then they start treating us like a servant, and we get mad. That doesn't add up. Who am I really serving? Hmm. So I don't mean this to be harsh or anything, but the truth is a lot of times we get into ministry for the wrong reason. How often have you heard it said that I, I did this, I served in this way, and boy, that just felt so good. It just feels so good to serve. Just just feels so good to do this. Boy, thanks for letting me do this. I just felt so good serving. It was nice to give. Nice. You ever said that or heard that? And how often does that, how long does that good feeling last, really? Like that <laughs> gets, goes away really quick. And then what? And then why am I serving? That's the question that's got to be asked. And that's what rejection in ministry reveals. Why am I doing this? In Luke chapter 18, verse 14, Jesus said, Whoever, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself 
will be exalted. So it seems that I can choose humility or I can have it forced upon me. The option is mine. Can I be honest with you? I have failed this test so many times over the years. I remember when I was a kid, I was 19, I don't know, 18, 19, somewhere in that time frame. And my dad one day, I don't remember the context of the conversation, but I remember him saying it. He said uh, that, I, that I, Doug, I would struggle with pride. And I remember thinking, like, he was wrong. Because, you know, what 19-year-old thinks your dad's right? So I was pushing back on him. I didn't get it. But can I tell you, I agree with him now. Pride has been a big problem. That this whole death to self thing is not as easy as it looks. And that, and that ministry is the best thing that you can do to learn how to do that. And over the years, I've failed this test countless times because I've had all these great ideas and I've wanted, I can't tell you how many times I've experienced rejection in church. <laughs> if I had a dollar, I'd be a rich man for every time. For every idea and every great dream and every call that I had from God. And I'm trying to force it on other people. And then they push back or they reject my idea. And I have not responded well. I don't know why we do that. So what do we do? The answer is not to leave church although I know that's a temptation, isn't it? And I'm sure that some of you have maybe even done that, taken a hiatus away from fellowship. You say, I'm out, peace out, done, and you leave the church for a period of time. It's happened many times, happens a lot. Can I say that's not the answer? But the answer isn't easy. The answer is simply this. When we, enter, when we enter ministry, and you know I'm not saying professional ministry. I'm saying ministry. You, you're serving. You're helping out the grow zone. You're passing out bulletins. You're caring for people. You're praying for people. Ministry. You're serving other people. We enter ministry. We do that. You're exposing yourself to greater scrutiny. And it's the best thing that could ever happen for you. Look, at, if you don't ever want to be challenged, sit in the pew. Actually, if you really don't want to be challenged, watch TV from, watch church on TV at home. You'll never be challenged. And you can go to the kitchen and get a snack when they ask you for money. You don't even have to be challenged with the offering when you're watching church on TV. I mean, you, it's, a great, it's a great way. It's a great way to stay the same for the rest of your life. But if you want to grow, if you're interested at all in having your, develop, your character developed, if you're interested at all in looking anything like Jesus, the absolute only way to do it is to get in the game and get a few bites. That's when you begin to see your character formed and shaped. Oh, baby, nothing hurts worse and nothing helps better. It's the craziest thing. I wish I could say that it wasn't the way that it worked, but it is. It's part of the process. Jesus calls us to a really high standard. 
He calls us to take up our cross and follow him. I mean, that's not fun stuff. The Apostle Paul said this. I like this verse. It's I like it because it's simple and succinct. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31. The Apostle Paul said, I die every day. I like that. You know, I die every day. And I think by that, what he means is, every day I have a choice. Am I going to live for me or Jesus? What's it going to be today? And Paul says, every day I wake up and I make the same choice. I'm dying today. It's going to be Jesus. That's the day. That's what today's all about. Paul made that choice. I die every day. And then in Galatians, he says this. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. It's the only way ministry can really work. I've got to die to myself. But here's what happens. And this, we do this thing, and it's very dangerous to our souls. We connect what we're doing with who we are. And when that happens, we actually stunt our growth. We connect what we're doing with who we are. Let me illustrate it so, I can, so you understand what I'm saying. So a number of years ago, and this is a while ago now, we had a gentleman in our church who felt that he had the gift of worship leading. And he was called to be a worship leader. So, you know, New River, we're the kind of church, we'll let you try stuff. Because I'm convinced that's actually part of the process in discovering your spiritual gifts. You got to try them out. And it's okay if you're going to fail, that's fine. It's no biggie. Fail, failure is not a problem. So, you know, he, so he's, he's leading worship. The problem is it became very quickly, um, we became very quickly aware of the fact that the guy can't sing. And, uh, and on top of that, he has no stage presence. He just really was kind of like a wet rag on the platform, and it really, you know, not much going on up there. The truth is he just didn't have the gift, just didn't have the, the gifts to do it. That's not a bad thing. And so when we tried to confront this in this brother, instead of, Instead of uh, saying, wow, you're, I need to look at that. You're right. Maybe I have this gift. And, that. and by the way, this guy had a fantastic gift of hospitality. I've been in his house numerous times. He'll treat you like a king. I mean, you, it's great. You feel the presence of Jesus in the man's living room. It's amazing the ministry that he can do in his living room. His ministry just wasn't here. But he left our church because, quote, I'm going to go where my gifts are appreciated. But you see what he did? He connected what he did with who he is. So that then when we're saying, look, at, I don't think you have that gift, he took that as a rejection of him. And it wasn't a rejection of him. We didn't reject him. We're just helping you discover who you are. But he didn't see that because the two were connected. Anytime we connect who we are with what we do, we basically stifle our own growth because we prevent other people from being able to talk to us and help us discover who we really are. 
Because it's kind of like playing the God card. We joke about that around here. You don't, don't, don't ever tell me God told you to do something because you're not going to get away with that one around here. Because we know that whenever you do that, you, you don't allow anybody to speak into your life. Because who's going to argue with God? I guess if God told you, okay, right? So we don't, we don't say that around here. But it's the same thing. When I equate who I am with what I do, it's kind of like playing the God card. Because I don't, I don't want to tell you that you don't do that well. Because now you're going to take that personally that you're somehow, I'm attacking you and really not trying to attack you. And see, who suffers as a result from that? You suffer and the church suffers. Because now we've got a bunch of people that really don't know who God made them to be and how God made them to be. But they all think that they know what they're doing. Man, you know, you've got to get everybody on the right seat on the bus. And then this puppy can really start firing on all cylinders. But we're not going to get on the right seats on the bus if we continue down that track. So anyway, enough of that. My point is this. Who am I doing it for? If I'm doing it for Jesus, then don't I want to do what he made me to do? If I'm doing it for me, rejection then is not always that bad. Rejection seems to be a part of the process of growing. It's a part of the process of discovering what God wants you to do. As long as you don't connect who you are with what you do, you can handle the, the pushback from others saying, eh, maybe that's not your thing. Okay, it's not my thing. I want to introduce you to a guy as we come to a close this morning, an example of an unsung hero in the Bible, because I think he illustrates what it is that we're talking about here today. His name is Justice Barsabbas, and you've probably not heard of him. He doesn't get talked about very much in the Bible. He's one of those guys that when you get to heaven, I think you want to look him up and ask him a few questions. So who is Justice Barsabbas? Justice Barsabbas, um, well, we meet him in Acts chapter 1, verse 23. You know when Jesus, you know that Judas betrayed Jesus, right? And then Judas went and hung himself. He killed himself. And so now the 12 disciples had 11. And so Peter, the apostle Peter, got to love him, he came up with this great idea. We've got to replace Judas. We've got to have 12. And so for some reason they had to have 12. So they, they go looking for the 12th guy. And they decide that the guy that we choose is going to be a guy who's been with Jesus from the beginning. We're not just going to get a newbie. We're going to get a guy that actually knows Jesus. He was there from the very start. And so they find these two guys. Justice Barsabbas and Matthias. In Acts chapter 1, verse 23, it says, So they proposed two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas. He actually gets a couple of names. He's Joseph, Justice, um, Barsabbas, uh, Jesus. It's kind of like Bob, Rob, you know. So anyway, so here he is. So Justice Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And history tells us that they chose Matthias. Justice got overlooked. Come on. Dude, 
He's one vote shy of being in the 12 apostles. Are you kidding me? That's, the, that's like the elite of the elite in Christianity, is it not? I mean, there's none of us that's made that group. We're not part of that group. The 12. You understand? The 12. That's an elite group in the kingdom of God. And Justice Barsabbas missed it by one vote. And then Acts chapter 6 comes along. In Acts chapter 6, they're looking for deacons because the widows are being overlooked in the food line. And so they say, we got to find some guys who are full of the Holy Spirit and, they, and their wisdom and they're wise. And Justice Barsabbas would have been a part of that group. I'm, and now I'm reading into this, I confess. But he was part of that first church. He was there. And this is the first church. They chose, they chose seven deacons. He got overlooked. Wait a second. He's qualified to be one of the 12 apostles. I, I think that would qualify him to be a deacon. Nope. And then we read about him in Acts chapter 15, verse 22. And, it, and a little while later, there was a conflict brewing in the church because all these Gentiles, like you and me, we're Gentiles. All these dirty Gentiles like us, we started following Jesus. And these prim and proper Jewish Christians didn't quite know what to do with us, so they had a big meeting in Jerusalem to figure this out, and they wrote a letter, and they said, we're going to send this letter around now to all the churches so that they can see what we've decided to do. And here's what we read in Acts chapter 15. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. So he's qualified to be an apostle, gets overlooked to be a deacon, and years later they use him to deliver a letter. You don't think that's a diss? Could be. We're not, I, again, I am taking some liberty, I admit, but I mean, I'm thinking. And yet, this man, faithful to the Lord, we read about him years later, Colossians chapter 1, chapter 4, rather, verse 11. The Apostle Paul is in jail and he's writing and he speaks about Jesus, who is also called Justice, same guy also sends his greetings. Years later, Justice Barsabbas, faithful man of God, servant in the church, imprisoned with Paul. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Yet qualified to be an apostle, overlooked to be a deacon, used to send letters. <laughs> I propose to you that that's the kind of person that you and I are called to be. I propose to you that Justice Barsabbas was a guy who could have nursed feelings of rejection, but he didn't. That the evidence shows that he served with joy and he served faithfully. Why? Well, we come back to that verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, we don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord. Can we read that together out loud? We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Can I have somebody, uh, one of our 
young, somebody help, somebody young, help pass these out, if you would, please, while we talk. I want to close with this as an illustration. Thanks, Jake. Thank you. You're the man. Thank you. Thanks, Lenny. Perfect. Everybody here. Lenny, here. Yeah, you probably want some more. There we go. Okay. These guys are good. Yeah. We'll get them passed out. So when I feel rejected in ministry, and I'm going to feel rejected in ministry, it reveals that I'm trying to get something from people as I serve them that I can only get from God himself. When I feel rejected in ministry, and I'm going to get rejected in ministry, it reveals that I'm trying to get something from people as I serve them that I can only get from God himself. And I simply cannot expect from other people what I can only get from God. Does that make sense? I cannot get from you what I can only get from God. So these guys are passing out these Dixie cups. Thank you, Brad. And I just want them as an illustration, as all these are. When we were created, God created us with full cups. We were, we, were in it, we were in an intimate relationship with him. He made us for himself, and, and we were designed uh, to be filled with him and by him. We, you know, the Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it even ends by saying, My cup runs over. See, when I'm right in relationship with God, my cup is full. He fills it. He's designed to fill it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Oh, it's full. It's good. But in our sin and in our rebellion, what we do is we dump that out and we say, God, I'm going to fill it up myself. And we start by going to relationships and we say to other people, can you fill this for me? Can you fill this for me? Can you fill this for me? And of course you can't. And then I'm left empty and disappointed. So then I turn to achievements. I say, maybe if I just get a trophy, that'll fill it. Or maybe if I just get a promotion, that'll fill it. Or maybe if I just get that position, well, that'll fill it. And it's still empty, isn't it? And then we turn to ministry. And this is the greatest deception of all. Because I think that by doing something good for people and serving God, that somehow that's going to fill this cup. It's, it's a lie right out of the pit of hell, really. Because serving God cannot fill this cup. The only thing that can fill this is a right relationship with God. That's what can fill it. And so many precious ones have served God so valiantly and left empty and left disillusioned because they said it didn't work. That whole church thing doesn't work. You're right, it doesn't. 
the only thing that works is relationship with the God who made you. Most people run their entire lives on empty, and they die empty. Very few, precious few, actually discover the joy, the satisfaction that comes in having my cup filled with the very presence, with an intimate relationship with the God who made me. So now what? I propose to you that you need the Holy Spirit to fall on you today. You need the Holy Spirit to fall on you. By that, I mean this. In the book of Acts, chapter 11, the apostle Peter, he's preaching to a bunch of people, and the Bible tells us that as he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on him. And then in, and then in the next chapter, um, I guess Acts chapter 11, 10, 11, 11, Peter is telling the story about what happened. And he says, the, says it again. I was preaching and the Holy Spirit fell on these people. And then you and I sing songs like, Holy Spirit, fall, Spirit, fall, fall fresh on me, fall. And the term sort of sounds weird, doesn't it? It's like, is the Holy Spirit clumsy? He's always fallen. How, how is that? It's a weird word. How does the Holy Spirit fall on me? Until you get to Luke chapter 15 and to the story of the prodigal son. You know the story of the prodigal son? Here's this punk kid. He takes all of his dad's money and he goes and he squanders it and he wastes it. And then he comes, he comes to the end of himself and he decides, I'll go back home. And so he works his way back home. But what he doesn't realize is that the whole time he was gone, his dad was looking for him and waiting for him. His dad was going out every day and looking down the road, hoping for his son to come. And every day his son wasn't coming until one day he looks down the road and he sees his boy. He sees a familiar form and a familiar gait to the step, and he's like, that's my boy. And he starts running, the Bible says, after him. And here's what Luke chapter 15, verse 20 says. It says, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Threw his arms around him. Now, some of you have a different Bible translation. And your Bible translation might actually say that the father fell on his son's neck. Because you see, in the Greek, the, the language that this was written in, the word is epipepto. Some, I think that's what it is. And it, it's not relevant. What matters is this. The word fall, it's also the word for embrace in the Bible. So when we say, Holy Spirit, fall, you're asking for the embrace of the Father. You're asking for the Father to throw his arms around your neck, to fall on your neck, and to embrace you. And I propose to you that in ministry, we serve others, we serve God from that embrace. I don't serve for it. I serve because of it. And, and the reason why I feel rejected at times, when I get my 
and I get all upset because something happens I don't want to happen, it reveals that I'm lacking that embrace. I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to give me something that only God can give me. And so I want to close this morning with just this simple invitation to receive the embrace of Father. Holy Spirit, fall upon us. I loved this picture that I found. Isn't that a great picture? I don't know. I look at it and I think, man, that there's just strength there. There's welcome there. There's, there's acceptance there, isn't there? That God the Father would fall upon your neck and embrace you. You want that? That's what fills the cup. Nothing else fills it. That's the only thing that fills it. Would you pray with me? Lord, I come to you today with an empty cup. Father, I come before you today as one who has tried and tried and tried to fill the cup my way. And I've even used ministry to do it. Father, I can't get from other people what I can only get from you. And so I ask you in this moment, fall upon us, I pray. Fall upon our necks, I pray. Grant each person in this room and embrace Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fall upon us, we pray. Spirit of God, fall. Jesus, be the center of it all. Jesus, be the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will it always be. It's always been you, Jesus. We're asking Jesus to be the center of our Jesus. lives. Jesus, be the center. Jesus, be the center of it Jesus, all. I want you to be the center. Come fill this cup. Jesus, at the, the center, center of it all. That's right, Lord. Come fill it. From beginning to the end, it will all. 